The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to be looking at Exodus 33, and then we're going to jump over to 2 Corinthians 3. And um, it, what we're going to be looking at is God's empowering presence with us. And let me pray for our time together. God would help us. And I, I think we do we have slides for this? Everybody, if you don't have... Oh, no slides on that? Okay. Um, if you need a Bible, we got one for you. Boom. There we go. All right. Um, let me pray for us, um, and then we will uh, we'll start. We'll look at uh, God's Word together. Father, uh, we're grateful for your Word to us, and we ask that you would use it to strengthen us in Christ and show us more of your grace to us by the Holy Spirit, that we would know your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as many of you may know, I, uh, I took a... Um... <laughs> it's my child. <laughs> as, many, as, as you may know, I took a personal retreat this week. Um, I was uh, beginning to feel a bit crispy and uh, a bit tired and uh, just really a bit exhausted. And so... Um, gratefully, I was able to take some time away to go uh, meet with the Lord and uh, get some rest. And um, I had begun to really begin to feel like I was a bit strung out on doing a lot of work and uh, getting things done, but I had begun to feel a lack of God's presence in my life, a uh, presence of just His nearness, His love, His kindness to me. Um, and I uh, recognized that, hey, I need to pay attention and cultivate my soul with the Lord, and so um, I was able to go away, and actually what I did is I spent some time uh, studying that very topic of what does it mean to live in the presence of God, what does it mean to live with the Spirit of God, and um, I came out of that time gratefully refreshed and uh, encouraged in the Lord, and I think strengthened in some, some truths that I want to share with you um, from God's Word, um, because I think that the reality is that whether... Uh, you're like me and a bit burnt out on working or you're trying to find God or you are uh, just a regular Christian in your life, we all want the presence of God in our lives. Um, ever since we, Adam and Eve, were uh, kicked out of Eden, we've all longed to be near God, right? If, if Eden is the presence of God, if being near God is a garden of joy and goodness and sin causes to be um, separated from God, then we all long to be near His presence, and yet there's this disconnect, there's a discord, there's this reality that we live not near the presence of God without Him. And so, um, so what we're going to do tonight, like I mentioned before, we're going to look at Exodus 33, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 3, and I'm going to draw those two together, but they draw together basically on talking about uh, God's empowering presence with His people. Uh, if we do not live near God and we long to be near Him, there's a separation from God that we need, we need God to fix and help us with. And then as God fix and helps us with that issue of, of that problem of not being near Him and longing for His presence, um, we come into the New Testament with an explosion of a, a new reality in God's presence. Um, and so it's this, uh, it's this empowering presence of God that we get by the Spirit that we're going to be looking at tonight. 
So hang with me. I, uh, I'm going to do my best to encapsulate Exodus, and then we're going to move over to the New Testament. And so what we're going to look at first with Exodus 33 um, is, our, is a longing for God's presence. And so if you, uh, if you need a refresher on where we're at in the book of Exodus, I know this is we're just kind of dropping in. Chapter 33, most people don't, off the tip of their tongue, know what's Exodus 33 about. Um, the book of Exodus up to this point has basically been covering um, God's people are in captivity under Pharaoh. Uh, they've been enslaved for about 400 years or more. Uh, they are slaves to uh, Pharaoh doing the dirty work of, of Egypt um, and crying out for God's pl- blessing and uh, remembrance of them. They don't live in the land that God's promised. They're not experiencing the promises of God in their lives. And so God sends Moses through a series of miracles. Moses uh, rises up and uh, takes God's will and God's message directly to the face of Pharaoh. Uh, again, we're kind of skimming through this, but they go toe-to-toe between Moses and Pharaoh. Um, God's will versus Pharaoh. And uh, through a series of ten plagues, uh, God proves himself to be the stronger party. And God uh, leads his people out of Egypt. So again, this is just a, a skimming through, but Pharaoh then tries to take over God's people. They go through the Red Sea. God's people get through the Red Sea through this miraculous event um, easily. And Pharaoh and his army are consumed by the Red Sea as, a sign, as an ultimate sign of God's judgment against them. God's victory is clear over uh, his enemies and God saves his people. So God leads his people through the desert and they get up to the mountain and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to hear God's word, to get God's commandments. That's where he gets the Ten Commandments. So we all have that, you know, that picture of Moses with the stones, with the Ten Commandments on them. Uh, that's that, that moment, Moses up on the mountain getting those commandments and God's people, meanwhile, at the foot of the mountain, are rebelling against God, throwing all their jewelry into a big pot and creating golden idols for themselves. Uh, because they figured, look, we haven't heard from God in the last few days. Uh, we're going to make these idols to worship because they seem more tangible and real to us than God himself. And so Moses comes down from the mountain, sees what they've done, throws the, mount, the, uh, the Ten Commandments down on them in judgment. And then we're, we're right up onto our passage, right where Moses has to intercede, basically. He has to stand between God and the people because God's like, look, I'll just wipe them out. You know? And uh, Moses knows that God's glory is going to be shown in this moment. And God wants his glory to be seen. And so what Moses does is he intercedes to God and says, God, look, your glory will be most shown by saving and showing mercy to these people. I'm going to, I'm going to ask that you save them and that you continue with us in mercy. And so that's where we land here at Exodus 33. God deals with the, with the punishment that he gives out to these people. And so then in the wake of that, the issue of God's presence, that's what we're dealing with. What does it mean for God's presence to be with a people that reject him? So at the beginning of our text, talks about uh, Moses going out to a tent of meeting. So one of the repercussions of all what we just talked about, the sin against God's against God, God's people, is that God's presence now has to be outside the camp. God has to, where they meet and worship God, has to be outside of where they're at. Um, He doesn't live in his people. He lives outside. 
And so the, what happens is basically Moses has to leave the camp. I mean, if we were to, uh, the way I kind of envisioned this, again, you guys know I'm not like a sports guy, <laughs> so forgive my analogy. <laughs> yeah. as, as Bill so very great, generously pointed out in my ordination last week. Um, I'm not a sports guy, but the, what I envision happening is Moses has to leave the temple or leave the, the camp and walk out a distance to the tent of meeting and go meet with God. Um, and I would imagine it's a bit like watching the pitcher walk out to the, the mound. <laughs> you know, here he is, this a singular guy going out and everything hinges on him. This is the guy that we're walk, watching to see what is going to happen. And so he goes out of the camp to go meet with God and it says that God meets with him face to face. Verse 11 says, Thus the Lord spoke, would speak, used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So you see that all the while they're rejecting God and rebelling against God. God is setting up this system where he can still be near them and show him their, his kindness and be their friend. This is God's mercy to them that he hasn't just totally just you know, let them be in the middle of the desert. He still meets with Moses as their representative in their, their place of worship with God outside the camps so that God's holy, but then he's still near to show them mercy. So God is nearby. But then the other thing going on here is that uh, God is telling them, okay, it's time to get up and move. All right, you've been at this mountain. All this stuff's gone down. We're going to be on the move. We're going to go to the promised land. And so God is moving the people. And what we find then, uh, this is the main text we're looking at uh, here in chapter 33, is in verse 12, God's telling them to get up and move. And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up your people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. So his concern is, God, we're going to move, but we're weak and helpless, and you just uh, put judgment upon uh, thousands of our people. We're, we're, we're hopeless without you. Yet you have said, I know, uh, I know you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. So he's saying, okay, God, you've told us to do this, and this is your promise. You know us, and you promised us blessing. So then pick up in verse 13. Now therefore I have found, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. So he's, he's pleading to God, God, we have found favor in your sight. You have blessed us. You have chosen us. Don't leave us or forsake us, God. Don't leave us alone. So then in verse 14, and he said, God, this, is, this is God speaking, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if you're, and Moses said to God, that's clarifying the pronouns, and, and Moses said to God, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall we be known that I have found favor in your sight? How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people... It is not in your going, if it is not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. So you see what's going on here. Moses is saying, God, if your presence won't go with us, we're done for. God, if your presence is not with us, we're sunk. God, if your presence is not with us, your glory, 
will be diminished. Your glory will be tarnished. Your promises will prove to be untrue. Which is, if God made a promise, God's true, His promises are true. So they're going to come true. But, but God's promise there in verse 14, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. You see, God has not forsaken these people that, are, that have forsaken Him. He continues to be near them. He continues to be their friend. He continues to show them mercy. But there's still this issue that they have to keep their distance from God because God's justice and holiness cannot dwell with the people that have so deeply and internally forsaken Him. See, Moses reflects our heart's desires. We long to be near God, and yet there's this distinction between us. We're different from God, right? I mean, the reality is that if we were as good as we think we are, you know, we're, you know if you're on a scale of 1 to 10, how good are you? Well, I'm not a Mother Teresa, but, you know, I'm not a Jack the Ripper, so, like, somewhere in the middle. But, like, that doesn't get us anywhere. Like, if we're even, like, half good, we're half bad. And if we were as good as we thought we were, we would never die because death is an indication that we really do belong to the land of the dead, Right? Even though babies look cute, uh, we still don't belong in the presence of God. We still need God to do something. And the reality is that this story for Moses and these people doesn't end well. Uh, it's certainly a picture of God's redemption, but it's not the final picture, right? God's picture of redemption here is, this is a flawed man being a picture of Jesus ultimately, but Moses sins the people ultimately are rejected from his presence. Um, in our uh, missional communities, we've been talking about how to tell our testimony. So we've been learning these four categories of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So creation is, what's our identity? Where are we from? Our fall is, what's our brokenness and need? The redemption, how has God changed us? Or how has God redeemed us? And then uh, restoration is, how has God uh, giving us hope and changing us. And so in this story, we see that just to kind of tie in our missional community nights and then tonight, we see what's their identity. They've been miraculously saved by God. They've been miraculously redeemed from this oppressive slavery. What's their sin? What's the fall? <laughs> they've rejected, they've created an idol. I mean, we talk about being a bit idolatrous for us. I mean, they were actually like idolaters. You know, like, certainly we have idols of our heart, but they actually were showing us a picture of what goes on in our own heart. They created actual idols. They rejected God. Their redemption was accomplished. Their, their saving, though temporary, was accomplished because Moses stood in the gap. Moses stood between God's wrath and what they deserved. And then the reality is that from there, the story begins to fall apart because their restoration is temporary. Yes, God showed them mercy, but the reality is that they, they had not received the internal presence of God. God was with them. God was near them. Uh, God was uh, uh, leading them. He was a fire by night, a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, leading them. But God was not in them. God had not changed them. Their, their deep internal rejection of God had not been solved. The real issue was still uh, to be dealt with. So, we, uh, with that in mind, with that kind of the yearning for God's presence, 
from the Old Testament. Yearning for God's nearness. Yearning for God to be with us. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3. I know this is a bit of a jump. We're going from, you know, the early part to the later part. But uh, we're going to see here the experiencing God's presence. So we have yearning for God's presence in the beginning, experiencing God's presence. Uh, and the reason I want to do this jump is I think that actually uh, if you were to kind of sit Paul, the Apostle Paul down and talk to him about this passage, I think he would actually uh, say, yeah, I was thinking about Exodus 33 when I was writing this. Um, this Exodus 33 was actually in the background for Paul when he was talking about this. There's a number of imagery indications that we'll, we'll look at, but um, I think this was in the background of Paul's mind because he's talking about the transition from Old Testament, what you might call Old Covenant, to New Testament, we might, we might call New Covenant. What's the transition that happens there? And so we'll, we'll pick up at verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stones, remember the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. So when Moses would go back and forth to the tent, remember how we were talking about that? He would have to wear a veil because he would be in the presence of God and his face would shine with the glory of God. So that's what he's referring to. So if uh, they could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So the ministry of the Spirit is what Paul is talking about here. And the reality is that we have, you might be thinking about this, we have effectively jumped over the climactic, climactic event that causes the ministry of the Spirit to happen. Between the ministry of Moses and the ministry of Paul that Paul is talking about stands this great event of Christ on the cross. Christ dying for our sins. So the, and the, and what, Paul's, what Paul's thinking about here is as Moses had to stand in the gap between God's people and God's wrath because of God's love for them, Jesus goes outside of Jerusalem, carries His cross, and is crucified under God's will, under God's wrath for God's people. There's a, you see the, the parallel of the imagery here. Moses went outside to go meet with God. Jesus went outside to be God and bear God's wrath so that we could meet God. Jesus is now the temple of God. He's the presence of God, the place that we meet God. God's mercy meets God's justice so that we can experience God's love and grace. Jesus is where we die, where our sins died on the cross. Jesus is where the holiness of God is vindicated, where God's holiness can meet and kiss God's grace and mercy to us. It's in Jesus only where the holiness of God and sinners like us, sinners, I don't know what your week's been like, We've all, in one way or another, offended God. But it's in the cross of Christ where all of those sins that separate us from God and this question of how can I live with the holy God, it's in the cross of Christ that those things are resolved. Those things are dealt with. Those things are, because God loves us, brought to an end. And we are made, as Moses was friends with God, we are now made friends with God. And because Jesus died for our sins, the just punishment that we deserve, and was raised from the dead, we now receive the Holy Spirit, which 
That's what Paul is talking about, the ministry of the Spirit here. We now have the Spirit. And if you were to ask Paul, what's the defining mark of a, of a Christian? The defining mark of a Christian is that they have received the Spirit of Jesus Christ. They have now received the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the defining mark of what it means to be a Christian. That's the defining mark of what it means to belong to Jesus. It's by the Spirit that we confess Jesus as Lord. It's by the Spirit that we have knowledge of who God is in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's the Spirit that we now experience as the presence of God. So let's, let's look at uh, chapter 3, just dropping down a few verses, starting in 15. Chapter 3, verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses has read, a veil lies over their hearts. And I, I just conclude that to say, that's where we all live. We all live with a, we don't see God for who He is. Just like Moses, with all the people around him. But when one turns to the Lord, that veil, that separation, when one turns to the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the veil is removed. Now this Lord is a Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see, the problem with the people of God before Jesus is that the law told them how to love and to obey God. And their hearts rejected it. Their hearts would not submit. Their hearts would not obey God. But now that God has given us His Spirit, now that God has come to dwell among us, now that God, the Spirit, has taken up residence in our own zip code, and our own kitchen table, has effectively put on our own shoes, and the Spirit of God lives with us, we now walk in the freedom of being able to enjoy God, being able to live with God, to being able to obey God. You know how, how Moses was pleading, don't leave us. Don't le- let your presence leave us. We long to know your ways. Now God has given us His Spirit so that He dwells with us. This is the best gift of the Gospel. I know we always talk about like what's the Gospel, what's Gospel-centered, what are the benefits of the Gospel. Get this, the best benefit of the Gospel in your life is that God takes up residence in your life. Yes, we're going to get heaven. Yes, we're going to be res- raised from the dead. Yes, we get all these benefits of knowing Jesus Christ. All those things are made real and living and true in our lives because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, in fact, the God who created the universe, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our own hearts and lives and is the permanent presence of God's presence with us. In Eden, we rejected God, right? We rejected God's presence with us. We reject God's presence with us by nature. But the Holy Spirit comes and makes a new man or woman. He gives us a new heart, a new life, a new delight in God. So we are now, he talks about the freedom of the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom from shame and guilt. Shame is that sense of, I am bad, and guilt is, I do bad things. That might be a reductionistic way of putting it. But the freedom of the Spirit frees us from this shame of your old identity or whatever that was. The freedom of the Spirit is that we are now united. We are made with Jesus. Whatever is true about Jesus is true about us. We in Jesus receive the perfect delight and pleasure of God because of who Jesus is. That's the the freedom of the Spirit. The freedom of the Spirit is that we now can 
actually would not be bound to sin. Gossip, slander, lust, whatever, anger. We're freed from being bound and identified with those things. We can now, we, God has now taken up residence in us in such a way that we can obey and follow God and love God. You see, it's this, this presence of the Spirit in our lives. This is the defining mark of what it means to be, the, be a Christian because God has now made us into the place where God meets with us. It's through Jesus, but that's why Paul talks about us as the temple of God. Us as a church right now, gathered together to worship Jesus. We're the, the temple of God, but individually, we're the temple of God, where God comes and meets with us. God's presence is with us. I just think as if, I, I don't know how that lands on you, maybe that seems a bit, like, oh, that's kind of heady. I, I, to me, it is this gospel reality. I do not have to produce the presence of God. We don't need to get glitter bombs out. We don't need to get, you know, loud music. We don't need to do any of this stuff to get God's presence with us. God's presence is with us because of who Jesus is. Because God loves to give us His presence and be with us. And so then, through the rest of the New Testament, Paul talks about these gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't really make a difference between them. They're all evidence, the manifestation of the Spirit. God loves to show who He is. He loves to make people like Himself. He loves to make people look like Jesus. So we long for the gifts of the Spirit. We long for the fruits of the Spirit. So I don't know, um, I don't know what your life with the Spirit is like, but I can imagine that we all long to know God more. I can imagine that we all long for God's God to help us, whether it's anxiety, the struggles that we're facing, whether it's an anger issue, maybe it's an issue in your marriage, maybe it's an issue in your, mar- in your family. Uh, all the ways in which we experience the brokenness of the world, the Spirit is God's presence to help and change us. So do you long to encourage God's people and love them? Do you long to make other people know the riches of being in Christ. Pray for the gifts of the Spirit. Pray, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, to love people, to encourage people. Pray that the Spirit would help you do that. But then ask for specific gifts. Ask for the gift of prophecy, sure. Or for specific Spirit-guided ways to encourage God's people. Pray for the gift of just being able to, to read people and to encourage them and to counsel people in God's Word. Do you long to pray for pe- for God's people in a unique way to, s- to see God work in their lives? There's 150 psalms. We're going to be reading through them for the next three years. The psalms are a great way to pray for God's people. Ask for the Spirit to illuminate those psalms to you to how to pray for each other. I mean, I, I've been praying for you guys from the psalms. I, I love you guys, and I've been praying for you from the psalms. Pray for the gift of tongues as well. I mean, sure, let's pray for the, for the Spirit to guide our, our words that we would pray Spirit-led prayers. Do you long for God's manifestation of power in people's lives? That might be to encourage our dear brothers and sisters who are suffering with cancer or some affliction, that God would encourage them as they die well in Jesus. Or maybe that God would give us a gift of healing and heal them. The Spirit's power will show who God is across the board. So it's not just like, okay, God, your presence is only going to be shown if we see healings right now. Uh, That's not true. Um, God's presence will be shown through that. 
But God's presence is shown through people dying well and showing how Jesus is worth more than this world could ever give them. Do you long for God's glory to be shown in the dark places of this world? Pray that God would give you spirit-led encounters with your neighbors. That God would give you spirit-led encounters to know who your neighbors are, what their needs are, and that the Spirit would guide your conversation with them. The Spirit would encourage you to, how do I, how do I share the gospel with my neighbor? I mean, I remember talking with a neighbor of ours and just the lives falling apart and being able to share, look, like, you've got all these burdens going on. The gospel is, in some ways, God taking those burdens from you and giving you a light burden. I don't, I don't know where that came to mind. I mean, I haven't thought of Matthew 11 in a long time. Um, but this light and easy burden promised to a friend brought by the Spirit. Oh, that sounds good. I think I'd like that. Pray for the Spirit to sustain our faith. I mean, these are... The, I, let me just tell you, uh, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church plant. This is my first time. Uh, a church plant is going to be hard. We need God's Spirit to strengthen us and help us. But God loves to use His church to reach and save the lost and build His people up. Do you maybe just need faith for tomorrow? The Spirit loves to show us the face of Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer calls this, the, what's the, he talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit as a spotlight ministry. You have you know, Batman spotlight. The Spirit spotlights always Jesus. Spirit loves to show us Jesus. Spirit loves to feed our faith, to love Jesus and know Him more. Do you need power to put sin to death? This is straight Bible. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8.13 The Spirit loves to help us put sin to death, to confess our sins to each other, to live in the light with each other, to have help to love and, and obey Jesus more. You see, it's Whereas the people of God in Exodus 33, they, they all just had this yearning just to be near God, but they, could not, they couldn't live in a way that obeyed God. They couldn't live in a way that pleased God. You see, now in 2 Corinthians 3, it's a totally different world. Jesus has obeyed God completely and perfectly and died for all the ways that we have and ever will disobey God. So that now we get the presence of God with us to obey God and live a life that, that freely and joyfully enjoys God himself, and glorifies God. The Spirit isn't just kind of this energy field that kind of like helps us. It's actually God's presence with us. God himself, the third person of the Trinity, taking up residence in us. The presence of God, it empowers us. It strengthens us. It changes our lives. So, we'll end 2 Corinthians 13. And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What he is saying here is one of the more profound verses for your growth in Jesus in all of the Bible. It is in seeing Jesus Christ, that sight of Jesus, that is the Spirit in your life so that you can see who Jesus is see His value, see what He's done for you, see what it means for your life. It's that sight. That's the Spirit's work in your life. And that's the Spirit changing you to love Him and to treasure Him and to become more like Him. 
So it's not just like God the Father sent Jesus and then the Holy Spirit fits in here somewhere. No, the Holy Spirit is the ground level basics of your Christian life. You see who Jesus is, you love Jesus, you become more like Jesus, all because of the Spirit's empowering presence in your life. The Spirit comes in and shapes how you live and how you think. And it's all because, not because you went on a personal retreat, as great as those are, it's not because you read a book. And I've read lots of books, and I hope you do. It, books are great. It's not because you have uh, ascended to the seventh heaven or climbed Mount Washington. Uh, if you climb Mount Washington, you know, maybe there's an exception there. It's, it's seeing Jesus. That's how we become more like God. That's how we learn to love God and treasure God. And we only do that because the Spirit, God's presence with us, opened our eyes cleanses our mind, gives us new ears to hear. So how do, we end, how do we end with this? I know, I don't know how that lands on you. I don't know if that encourages you. I, it strengthens my soul. But how do, we, how do we apply this? I think one of the things that most deeply affected me in thinking about this is that the Spirit's presence in our life is not something that we have to muster up. God invites us into His presence. His presence is with us right now. His presence is what drew us into God, into the worship of Jesus right now. Uh, our ascending church, King of Grace, I was talking with uh, Paul Buckley. I think they just celebrated 700 Sundays as a, worship, as a church together. 700 Sundays. And Paul's comment to me was that 700 Sundays of God's presence with us. We enjoy God's presence with us right now. But maybe you are longing to know God's presence more. I would invite you. All you it, prayer is free. It's one of the only free things I've got in my life. Prayer is free. You can ask God. God, help me to experience your presence more. And because of Jesus, God loves to give us good things. And God loves to give us specifically good things related to knowing Him. So, I mean, there, it's like a lose-lose situation, right? If you long to know God's presence more... Pray for God's presence with you. To know it, to taste Him, to know Him. And then maybe, maybe one way this, uh, a second application, maybe you're longing to show the Spirit's work in your life more. Maybe it's certain gifts. You want to grow in certain gifts or you want to experience certain gifts. Um, you can pray. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but when I say the gifts of the Spirit, I include everything from administration to tongues. They're all gifts of the Spirit. Um, so if you want to pray for the gift of administration, I would love to pray for you to get the gift of administration. We need that right now. If you want to pray for the gift of prophecy, we'll do that too. Uh, but we need the full range of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit too. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, if I missed one. Um, we need those. We need the, the manifestation of God's presence in our life. So maybe you're longing for God. God's presence in your life in one of those gifts or uh, in one of those ways. I would love to pray for you. Jeff as well. Um, just, I'm saying Jeff and me because we're the two pastors here. We'd love to pray for you after the service just to, to experience those, to receive those. Because um, God is so eager to meet with us. His presence is with us. And it's not because of anything that we do, but because of who He is. He invites us into His presence. This is refreshing, I think. 
I hope it is for you. It's this, this great invitation of the gospel to experience God's empowering presence by the Spirit for Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for meeting with us, sending your Spirit because of who Jesus is. God, we ask that you would continue to meet with us as we worship you in singing, as we receive the Lord's Supper together. God, would you be glorified and honored tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.